for just about everything for the outdoors, go to MidwayUSA.com. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. If you have listened to me and the boys talk about our hunts, I know you've heard us use the term epic to describe a bunch of our hunts. Well, y'all, if you really want to know just what we mean by an epic hunt, then I have to tell you about the hunt I like to call burn me twice. You see, Chav and I have been hunting together for 39 seasons this year, but when it comes to the word epic or hunts that will go down as legendary in our books, this hunt right here is at the top of the list. During this hunt, there are going to be multiple learning moments and takeaways. Hopefully, y'all, some nuggets that I hope help you on your next elk hunt. So come on into camp, y'all. Set on down by the fire and welcome to another Blue Collar Elk Hunting special edition of The Moment. He piled up. He was about to smell. No, don't, don't move. What a beautiful bull. Yeah, buddy. No shot. No. As an elk hunter, your success is not a matter of chance. It is a matter of choice. After successfully hunting elk for almost 40 years, I know that with every hunt, every one of us will get schooled by the very animals we chase. One blown encounter after another. But these are not failures, only learning moments. The goal of this show is to share my past hunts or an experience within a hunt and point out a lesson learned, that one nugget or realization that can help you to grow as an elk hunter. My name is Joe Julia. I'm an elk hunting coach, and this is The Moment. As an archery elk hunter, there are a couple things that you just never want to hear or find out. Number one, you didn't draw the death card. 
Or you don't want to hear that your niece is getting married on September 2nd. Because let me tell you what, guys. It doesn't go over well at home when you say, like, really? Who does that? (laughs) Or the biggest punch to the gut. You don't want to find out or hear that your upcoming elk hunt area is on fire. Look, I know there are thousands of you out there right now nodding your heads because you know exactly what I mean. We all know, man, the number and sizes of fires across the West have been incredible for a number of years now. And in 2018, I'm driving home within about 100 miles of my drawn hunt area when my wife says something that really, really affected me. She said, is that smoke? Let me tell you what, acid reflux? That has nothing on looking up and seeing your elk hunting area on fire. Well, after getting home and making some phone calls, it was confirmed to be exactly what we had seen. But let me tell you what, y'all. Every dog has this day, and some days later, our fire crews, they caught a break, and the area that was on fire started getting hit by monsoon rains. What a blessing that was, really, for the safety of those guys that are out there fighting the fires. Because, look, man, all across the West, can you imagine the number of people out there putting their life on the line? And what they do, and how long they're away from families, and the amount of time that they spend sleepless days and not eating well and out there on the line man i tell you what we owe a lot to those firefighters out there fortunate for us the rains came in and really helped these guys fight this fire and i mean we had some good solid rains our monsoons hit and it was incredible it was like day after day after day and as fortune would have it I had a real good buddy that was on the fire crew that was on that actual fire. And in talking to him, we had talked to him, I don't know, after the rains had started, had been probably about a good three weeks after. And I had given him a call and he said, Joe, man, he said, you wouldn't believe this. He said, we drove in and there's already a small carpet of green that's coming up. This had been what we call a good fire. And we're going to talk more on this in a little bit. But when you have those fast fires that go through and just burn out that undergrowth, and then you get rain on top of it, that right there is a formula for success for the animals and for the elk and for those firefighters, man, and for recovery of those forests in that area. The next thing he told me, really got me because he said we were driving through we came around a turn and right there in the middle of the burn we see two bulls coming out and let me tell you what y'all when I heard that I knew exactly where I was going to go fast forward it's August 31st and Chav and I were going to get a chance to hunt a couple of days together before our Elk Bros crew rolls in, before Manano and Luis and Gilbert, and we had Trey Kissler come along on this hunt. So it's our chance to like hunt scout and give our hunt plan that we had a quick once over before the guys arrive in three days. Our plan is to find out what's hot and what's not. So we had decided 
before we got in there to set up camp about two miles from a number of our target areas, which would allow us to both drive and walk out of camp to hunt. We had set up camp in a drainage area that would keep our sounds, our scents from the areas both near and far that we wanted to hunt. This opens up a lot of different options. I mean, you could have guys that are going to walk out. You can have some of us that are going to drive out on the four-wheeler. We refer to our four-wheeler as bikes, y'all. So when you hear me say that, um, it's it's not that we're pedaling anywhere. We just call it that. We call it a bike. And I have a Can-Am four-wheeler that's what we call a two-up. And that allows me to drive and to have somebody else behind me that's in a very comfortable seat. It's just really, really great for traveling to a hunting area. Before we hit the rack that night, we've got camp set up. Chav and I have gotten everything up. Everything's wet. It's moist. We've got a lot of green happening. It's just really a great time to be in the woods. And I don't know if you've ever been out there after a rain and after it pelts an area, but the smells, man, just the smell of the pine, that cool breeze that comes there. You know, you can just close your eyes and just let your head kind of go back a little bit and take in that deep breath. And let me tell you, there is nothing like it. Well, we're getting ready to hit the rack that night, and it's the night before opening day. And just before we're hitting the bed, Chad looks at me and he says, um, he asked me which area I planned on checking out first. Well, I tell you what, he only had to see the grin that developed on my face before he answered his own question. He said, looks like we're headed to the burn. And absolutely, that's where we were going to go the next day. I don't know about you, but even after 35 plus years of elk hunts, that night before opening day, oh my Lord, it is the worst night of sleep in your life. I mean, you toss, you turn, you're, you're hearing things, you're listening for bugles, you're looking at the clock, and it's 12.30, it's 1 o'clock, it's 1.15. Finally, my vibrating watch alarm goes off at 3 a.m., and I was like, oh my gosh, man, I could not wait to get up. And, and I'll tell you this, our wake-up time, in deciding when we get up, that varies a lot according to how far we need to go and the level of information we have currently on the elk. So on opening day, we had only uh, had planned to only have about a 15-minute ride, and the plan that we had was to drive to a particular location, park in a drainage one ridge over from the burn and use the topography of the area to both muffle our bike noise and then walk in about a mile to where we wanted to be at the burn. Now, look, a lot of times when you have a plan like that, guys are in a hurry to get to the area where they think elk are going to be. This can be a huge mistake. I mean, from the moment that you park, what we like to do is we like to sit down for 15 minutes, 20 minutes sometimes, and just let everything quiet down and then listen, take in the smells, take in the sounds. So that was the plan for that day. So after a quick bite of granola and brushing our teeth, bow cases were strapped to the bike. 
our day packs are checked with all the gear pockets zipped and then you go through what we call our body pre-pat down and gear placement calls in the chest pocket check scent checker check grunt tube on and slid behind the pack check shooting glove on face mask in the pocket hat on safety glasses for the drive check 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 and check if you haven't done it there is nothing like riding on an ATV in the night air on forest trails. I used to have to drive into Elk Camp where I was going to guide, and it was usually about, I don't know, it was like an hour and a half to two hours on the bike driving in. And man, going through the forest and through the pastures and the meadows on those uh, ATV trails all the way into where it was, it was one of the greatest things. I so enjoyed that. So, we're on the ATV, and 30 minutes later, we're pulling out the bows and we're going through the same pat-down check that we're going to do, not only before we start out, but every time after a break. And I will tell you this, after 30 plus years of losing grunt tubes or having to go back to get my binos or having to go back to get my call pack or to look, you know, for Chap to look for his rangefinder. Uh, that pat down, keep things organized where you know they're at. If you're going to have something in the front left pocket up on the top, if you're going to have something in the right pocket, if you're going to have it down in your bellows pocket, if you've got, and I always, um, when I do carry binos, I like to carry a small compact set, and I would slip it through on my left chest strap so that they would be right there so I could check 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 you just give everything that pat down before you head out make sure your hats on your head all of that stuff man before you get there so we've done the pat down we're about a mile from like I said from where our ground zero is going to be where the burn is I mean that's where we're really really hot after but we're going to actually be going up and cross ridge walking to get to that area. We're about a mile out and when I don't have a lot of information on where the elk are, in other words I haven't put them to bed the night before, um, I haven't heard anything yet that morning. I mean we parked the bike, we sat there for about 10 minutes just letting everything calm down and we listened and we hadn't heard anything. So now we're getting ready to get started. And I'll tell you, I walk about 10, 15 yards from the bike. And my calling strategy, my locating strategy is I want to call near to far. So my first thing that goes out is I'm going to throw out a cow call. Just one. That's it. I'm stopping and I'm listening. I'm not giving a whole lot of information just one call and I'm going to listen and again I like to call near to far and what I mean by that is that first cow call that comes out of my mouth is just that no grunt tube nothing that's going to carry the, the noise just a cow call that's what it's going to sound like I'm going to listen for that next it's going to be through the grunt tube so I have one through the tube one with the mouth. It almost sounds like two cows in different areas. Nothing. So next I'm going to reach out a little farther. 
Just a simple location bugle. And that location bugle can be a two-tone, it could be a one-tone. Because that's going to be the tone that those elk are going to hear out there. You don't have to give that. And I'll hear some guys, they'll start out and they'll go like real slow through the tones, just like what I did. They'll go like. Like that, real slow. It doesn't have to be that way, man. It's just. Just get to that high tone. Let it rip out there. Most of the time, like I said, it's just going to be a single tone or just a two-tone for me. And I let it rock, man. I'll, I'll do it all the way from Florida all the way up to Canada, man. I'll just let that tone carry through the air. Especially if I haven't gotten a, a response from my first one. So my first location bugle is going to be something like... Just like that. I don't hear anything. I'm either going to move on or I'm going to give it that long one. That's all you need. So we're going along and we're moving just like that. Cow calls. Giving those cow calls out. And where I like to work when I'm working out and I'm going cross ridge, of course, we you have to have the wind. And so we have the wind that's actually a little bit out of a cross breeze for us. It's actually coming um, from our left going across towards our right. And it's at a quarter basically. So we're kind of walking so that it's almost, it's, it's just kind of hitting on my left cheek. So we have that quartering wind, kind of a cross breeze, not directly in our face. And you know, when you think about it, because we're going cross ridge like this, you have thermals that are going down in that cool morning air. So as I'm walking cross ridge, you have a breeze up on the cheek and we have thermals that would kind of go down. But remember that the breeze is going to bend those thermals. So even if I have animals that are downhill from us and they're down these drainages to our right, we have those thermals being pushed back away from them the way that we're working. So we're in a good situation. Everything's good. So we're a mile out and we're walking across in the night air. Now, we um, wear headlamps, uh, but we keep our headlamps aimed down to the ground when we're walking. And as we start to move, and I like to be out in the woods, I, if I'm not out an hour before gray light, I feel late. I feel I got to be there. So that's giving us about two hours before shooting light when we're there. Sometimes I like to be out there two hours before the gray light, just depending on the situation, what's happening with the hunt. But on this day, we were 15 minutes out and our goal was just to get out and be about a mile coverage before we start to hit that gray light. So we're doing this, we're moving, we're calling, nothing and we're moving and we're calling, still nothing. We've gone about almost a mile and the way the terrain is going, we have a little bit of a hill in front of us that as we're walking, we would actually go around that hill before we opened up into 
the burn area. And inside that burn area, it, it kind of bowls out so that if you come over that hill, you're going to actually be where you can call and and that call is going to carry throughout for a good half mile to a mile. That is some of the best places to call because your call is going to go so far. And I really like to call in areas where my call is going to bounce off of areas on the other side. Now as we're moving across these ridges, I don't want to be where I'm having to go deep down into the drainage back up on a ridge and then deep down in. The area I like to travel across, if you were to take your hand and you hold your hand out with your fingers spread, each of your fingers become a ridge. And as you come up that ridge, you have what I call the knuckle area, or that area at the top of each of those ridge fingers where you can work across. And by doing that, you're actually up high where you can hear anything down below and you're able to cover a lot more area where animals are going to be because things get closer at the top. So now this is where things start to get interesting. This is where things are getting ready to get epic. As we're moving and coming through, we're right before the hill gets there and I throw a little cow call out. No response. We come around the little hill and the hill is more towards our left side. And we're kind of almost on a trail coming around it. Uh, basically, it's, it's almost like a two track that we're coming on, coming around. And as we come around that, it's just now starting to be a little bit of a gray light where you can catch some movement. And as we come around, we're in position to be able to give that call to where it's going to bounce all the way across this big giant bowl of a burn. So as I come in there, I give a cow call. And boom, we get a bugle off in front of us, more towards our left-hand side from where we're at. And we just kind of stop there and listen, trying to locate where that is. And as I look over to the left, I catch a movement. And Chav, he's, Chav's right behind me, man. He's right on my right side. And so I put my hand back and I, and I touch Chav. Stop, stop, Chav, stop. And we freeze right there. And I'm looking, trying to catch that movement off to my left-hand side. And it's just in that just barely, barely gray light. There it is again. I can swear that something's right over there. And so we just stand frozen and we're just there and we're just letting that light come up just a little more and a little more. And I'm pointing to Chad. And he can start to see me a little bit in the gray light. We're pretty close together. But off in the distance, you know how that is. As things get further away in that gray light, it's a little bit harder to see it. And I can catch movement. And it's got to be, man, it's, it's probably only about 40 yards away. Just right there to our left. And it's kind of uphill on the side of a hill. And it's hard to make out what's there. There's a bunch of brush. Chav sees it. And we're looking and just waiting and we're frozen. The wind still on our cheeks so it's actually coming from the area where those critters are or whatever it is that's moving right there. And then you can make out the body. The first thing that we saw was one spike and he's just 
kind of eating on the hillside only 40 yards away, kind of eating towards us. So we've got one elk spotted right off to our left-hand side, and we've turned. We're kind of just out there in the open. <laughs> I mean, we're just there. Well, sure, we have trees behind us, but this animal hasn't heard us, and we had that bugle that happened. Oh, man, it happened a good 200 yards away. So as we're looking at the one bull, all of a sudden, in the gray light, there's more movement, and it's a second spike. And Chav knows that right now, man, we just might be able to have a shot once it gets to be shooting light. And that's what we're waiting on at this point in time. So I'm like looking at my watch to confirm where that shooting light is. And we're waiting and we're frozen, man. And it's kind of cool. I don't know if you've ever been in a situation like this, but when you know that you can't shoot at an animal and you're forced to have to just observe, I don't know, there's, it's, there's like this relaxation where you get to take in so much more of the information and your stress level is lowered down because you're like, oh, we ain't taking a shot right now. So here we are, we're watching these two bulls and we had that one bull sound off again, another 200 to 250 yards, almost directly in front of us. So we have a bull that has sounded off in front of us. We have two spikes to the left of us and we're waiting on the light. Chav has an arrow knocked and we're just sitting there and I look at him and he looks at me and we're just like smiling, man, just at the whole situation. It's almost comical. Now these spikes have walked down and they're they're at only about 20 yards but we still have, don't have the ability to get a shot and because of the time of day and so as they're working they're starting to walk up now up on top of the hill to where they're going to be out of not range for us but we're not going to get a shot because they're getting in thicker and thicker stuff so at that point I'm like hmm Something has to happen to try to keep them in the area. And I'm looking at my watch. How long do we have? And I'm looking at my watch. 15 minutes, man. 15 minutes to shooting light. And as they get up, I can now see them up on the top, silhouetted. And at the top, it's almost like looking like if you were to take your arm, it's almost like going up probably about 20, 25 degrees up on this ridge now right in front of us, this little hill that we came around. And we're on the side of it, and they're up on top. I look at Chap. He looks at me. And I'm like, okay. So let's make something happen here a little bit. We got 15 minutes, I wanna keep them in the area. So I take my grunt tube and I turn it off to the right side. Just a little cow call. They stop and they look. One of the spikes is looking our way and he's trying to figure out and locate what he just heard. We're five minutes away from shooting light. They're still looking down. They don't see us and they don't see that elk. One of the spikes starts to walk down a little bit and stops. Now, when an elk doesn't see another elk in an area where they expect to see it, a lot of times they're gonna get bored and they don't see it and they're gonna kind of walk away from the situation. I'm trying to give him a reason as to why he's not seeing it or just trying to hold him there. And so I, look, sometimes you just throw things to the wind to see if you can get it to stick to the wall. So now I throw out a little bitty bull call. Heads up, and they're looking at us. 
couple of cow calls. And <laughs> it is so comical, man. In fact, I think I can hear a cab actually laughing behind me. They still start to go up on the ridge. I'm just trying to get them to stay. They're still only 45 yards away. And I'm trying to get them to stick there until we have shooting light. We're just a couple of minutes away from it. So again. Just try and make them think there's just a little small group of elk down there. And what happens next while we're playing with these guys is... I'm making these noises. I make these cow calls. I make a little short bull call. And man, this dude blows up out there. We get this deep bellowing call. And Chav looks at me and I look at him and it's like, forget the spikes, man. So as soon as we hear this call and it's about 200, 250 yards in front of us, we're like, forget those spikes, man. And we take off and we're going to go cut the distance towards that bull. And as we're going towards that bull, we drop off into a little area, into the bowl, and we start working away. Now, as we get into this area, the wind now is coming a little bit more from our left side and crossing, but it's crossing us so that the bull's out in front of us. It's The wind's going from our left to our right. There's no way we're going to get any scent. So we're cutting the, the ground as we get there. And he sounds off again. He's blowing up. And now he's probably only 150 yards out there. And we are in the middle of this burn and everything is kind of there's there's carpeted a little bit green and it's burnt all around us all the trees are burnt that are around us it's just a great situation because it's really hard to see us between our camo and all the burnt trees so i turn to chav and the first thing that i do is i signal for him up forward and he knows when i aim like that he's going to go in that direction he's going to go up about 40 yards and he's going to go get set up so chav immediately moves out in front of me and he takes off and i'm watching as he's getting there and the bull sounds off again and as as that bull sounds off i see chav go down and the bull i'm in direct line man i mean so there's me Chab's in front of me about 40, 50 yards. The bull's ahead of him. And so now, once I see he's in position, and he's in real good position, he's broke up behind him, I can't really see him, but I know where he's at because he's got something between him and me. Now it's time to go to work. So what I do is I back off a little bit because I know this bull responded to a cow call. I'm going to kind of give him that cow call and then introduce that bull just a little bit and try to get this guy worked up a little bit. And let me tell you what, his first call tells me that this dude is worked up. I mean, his temperature's up there. This wasn't a location bugle. This was, hey, baby, here I am, man. It was this strong display bugle. So I know this guy's really wanting this cow, and he knows there's another bull there, so he's sounding dominant, man. As I get back behind Chav, what I do is I get back there, and I start out with my scenario. Just a, with the mouth, no grunt tube. And I'm actually, you know, because I'm down inside this little drop-off behind Chav, it sounds like there's a cow elk where this bull cannot see it. I'm down below where he's able to see. And immediately, he sounds off. And as soon as he does, because of a display bugle, the one that he's given like that, I smack him in the face. <laughs> 
I cut him off, man. Boom! I just smack right at him. And he comes right back at me. And I'm like, dude, this is so on. This bull's coming in. And as he comes in, now he sounds off, but I can tell that this bull is trying to circle to the downwind side. And I know this bull, I mean, this is September 1st. There's no way this bull has been called in before. So I am the first thing that he has engaged with. So the only reason I can figure that he's circling down is because he's trying to scent check. He wants to see what's with the situation or to get on that downwind side. So immediately I know that if he does that, he's going to get to Chav's downwind side before he gets to mine and he's going to catch his scent. So he's still a good 150 yards out there. So what I do is I start doing what I call a turntable effect. As he is starting to drop to the side, I am going to roll opposite of what he is and head towards my left to try to get him to cut off and so that he can hear me. And as I'm doing it, I am calling as I'm making that move going off. And so he can hear me, and now as I'm coming around, he sounds off again. And now he's turned coming to my direction. So again, I continue that turntable effect so that I can keep him from catching Chab and hopefully get him to walk in front of Chab. So I am still turntabling. I've gone 50 yards. I've gone 60 yards. And now I'm going up on a ridge, that same ridge that I just dropped off of, the one that I dropped down into the bowl. I'm going up on the side, getting up on the top of that ridge. And it's probably, I would say, probably 30 or 40, 50 yards up towards the top of that ridge. Now, I don't want to go to the very top of it because now we're getting daylight. We have that morning. We're, we're in shooting light now. So we're in that morning light, and I don't want to get up there where I'm silhouetting myself on top of the ridge. So as I go up, I kind of get up to that upper two-thirds of that ridge, and I start to work across. What I do next is I try to get this bull's attention without it being me screaming at him. He's bugled off, but guess what? Now there's two more bulls that have joined up further back behind this bull and further to the left. Now, I don't find this out until later, but when Chav went ahead and when he, when I saw him drop down, it's because he had spotted bulls that were out there. He didn't spot one bull. He didn't spot two bulls. He spotted seven bulls together. I mean, <laughs> it's like, oh my gosh, man, have we hit the jackpot. I don't know this. I only know of the one dominant bull. And that's actually, if you think about it, think about the situation. That's actually why that bull was being so dominant in his display because he had other bachelors around him and he thinks that he's heard a bull with a hot cow so he's displaying he's being dominant and he's going come to me i am the bull i'm i'm the mac daddy you need to come to me and when i smacked him in the face all oh, that really ticked him off and now you're hearing these other bulls are starting to sound off because they hear these two bulls going at it 
And they are starting to get worked up from just the activity that's going on. And I hope that you remember that, what I'm talking about, that they are getting worked up from the activity. Now, they're they're smelling the other bull that was with them, and they can visually see this big bull, and they can visually see each other. So they are responding to the activity of other elk. So here I am up on top of this ridge, and what I do is I set my bow down, and I grab a big stick, and I use what I consider especially early season to be the number one call out there for bulls in this situation. And that's just a stick and rake in the tree, man. So I start. And he sounds off. Now, where he sounds off from and after I use, and I call it the turntable effect. Because if you were to take a record turntable and that elk is on one side of the record and I was down below that bull when we first started and he was trying to circle down to get below to catch my wind, which meant he was going to catch Chab's wind. So what did I do is, just like on a record, I kind of turned up so that I could turn him and actually get him to start coming to my downwind side across. That would put him in better close proximity and hopefully in front of Chab, and that was my goal. As I kept moving up, I'm trying to get him now to start cutting more towards me so he doesn't catch Chavs went. So I'm up there working and the bull screams, man. He just rocks it from over there. Perfect. I'm in a good situation and I can tell he's coming into me. So now I stop. I stop displaying. And I'm waiting. Nothing. Right? I know that this guy, man, and I could swear that I hear a tree getting blown up. So I have a feeling he's displaying back. So I just wait a couple of minutes. And I mean, for me, it, it's, it's I don't know how to explain it. You're in a mode where there's tension in the air. You're excited, but I'm excited for that bull to come by chap. And I'm excited by what I'm hearing and how he's reacting. It just, I mean, it just gets, it gets your juices flowing, man. Because I'm telling you, man, I'm, I'm like, dude, bring it, man. My juices are just flowing. So now I haven't heard anything for a second. And I've waited a couple minutes. So I grab, and I'm on round two with the raking. <laughs> And I haven't even finished raking it. Here he goes. And I'm like, he's coming. He's coming. I know he's coming. And I'm waiting because I know I'm like, he's got to be going by chat. And so I just shut up because I know, I mean, he's closer at this point. I know he's closer. And from the way I moved and where I figure Chav is, he's got to be in the area. So I'm just standing there. My bow is at my feet. Remember, I'm up on the side of this ridge looking down into this burn area, into this bowl down there. Now, understand that this burn area, even though there were trees that were burned and undergrowth that was burned, there's still a lot of 
green growth here and there too because this fire has gone through here through there very fast all the trees have still got green on them they didn't it didn't fry the trees it didn't toast everything it wasn't one of those napalm burns so i'm looking down in there and there is like a carpet of grass down there green 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 and i'm standing there with my bow at my feet and i have the tree that i'm raking in front of me I'm waiting and waiting and honestly I'm just being patient because I know that that bull has to be in the same proximity where Chad is so I'm waiting and I'm just getting ready I've grabbed the stick and I'm getting ready to start round three on the raking to get him to sound off again all of a sudden I catch movement and so I stop and I look out there and about 80 yards down the hill I see the horns and Y'all, when I saw this horn, I was like, oh my goodness, this is a hog, man. And I can only catch like one horn down in there. So I'm watching, as, and as I, as I can see down there, he's now only a good 60 yards away. And he stopped, and he's looking up the hill. He's trying to see where that raking, where that other bull is. And now he's gone down and he's starting to feed as he walks towards me. So he's got his head down and he's coming in my direction. So get this. Here's the situation. <laughs> I have a massive bull coming towards me. I have my bow at my feet, a tree in front of me. What do you do? Ask yourself that. What do you do? Number one, I have to pick up my bow. That's, that's number one. If I don't have my bow in my hands, there's no shot that happens. So no matter what's happening, I see that bull feeding down there, and I reach down, and I slowly pick up my bow. Now the other thing is I have a tree in front of me. This tree I know is going to limit my shooting lanes. So I have to make a move, man. I have to get from behind this tree to the front of it. So I start to work around it and I'm watching this bull. I'm just looking at him and as I'm looking at him, I have my bow and I've already taken an arrow off and I have an arrow knocked. And so now what I'm doing is, is I'm coming and I'm looking down at my feet and I'm looking up. So I haven't moved my head really to do that. I'm watching the bull. I'm not going to take my eyes off the bull. So I'm looking at him and I look down at my feet and I can see what's there. And I start to take a step. And as I take that step, because I planned where that step is, I'm looking at him and I'm staring at him. Now I've gone and I'm taking step number two. I'm looking down first before I take the step. I look up at the bull. He stopped. He's looking up the hill. I'm just standing there and I'm like, all right, I'm good. And he's looking right through me. He's just scanning up there. But head goes back down. He starts to feed. He's now at 50 yards. So I continue my step. My, I come, I reach with my heel, and I slowly rock down to my toes. I start to feel a stick. So I turn it to the inside. Now I lay it down. Good. I'm good, man. I look down good. The one thing I don't want to do is get my feet too close to each other so I lose my balance. So I'm looking for that next step. I have to go over a rock. I put my foot right on the rock and that gives me a silent, silent step. Real good. Now, as I see it, I look down back towards my right with the other foot and I'm taking that step. 
I'm looking at the bull. He's still got his head down and he's feeding. He's gone now from 50 to 40 yards, getting closer, coming my direction. Now he stops. He looks up the hill again. At this point, Joe Julia loves to call y'all, but Joe Julia ain't going to make a daggum sound at this point. Everything is going as it needs to. He knows there's a bull either up over that ridge because he doesn't see him, but he doesn't have anything pinned. And he knows that that bull has a cow with him, and he wants that cow. So he's taking his sweet time, and he's coming right up. And now I'm in front of the tree. But look, just like in any sport, your foot position is everything. So if I'm standing with my feet straight out at that animal down the hill, I am not in shooting position. So now all I'm doing is I'm going to make an aggressive move and I'm going to slowly turn and I'm checking my feet. And the way I want to get is just like that bull is going to be my target, I'm actually going to take that left shoulder and I'm going to turn myself so I'm a little bit past. And the reason I want to be a little bit past is I can turn more towards my left a whole lot easier and stay in form than sometimes I can if he comes way, way towards my right. So I've got my shoulder down. I'm standing up. I have the tree behind me now. I'm broke up. I'm down below the ridge top. I'm not silhouetted in any way, shape, or form. And now it's just a patience game. Now I'm studying the bull. And as he goes, he starts to go towards my left now. So I'm checking shooting lanes. I'm checking shooting lanes as he goes and he comes up there. As he's coming, it looks like he's going to go right behind three trees there that are going to totally block his head. And as he does that, I'm going to take the draw as he hides it because he's going to pop out towards my left. And it's going to be an easy 30-yard shot down at that hill. You know what? I don't know if you've ever been in this position before where you think you know what an elk's going to do, but they will prove you wrong every time. Because that son of a gun turns and actually comes in front of those trees, and now he's coming almost directly to me. And, oh man, so now I'm at the point where that bull is coming up. So he's gone from 30, he's at 20, and he does something, man, that saves my bacon he like turns more towards my right and he's crossing in front of me broadside as he goes across and now I have a screen of trees that are there they're like aspen bottoms there's some brush and I'm seeing parts of his body as he's going through and these blocks I've got like one foot two foot blocks as he's going through there so as he comes through and he gets in there and he comes right into where my shooting lane is he stops and he screams a bugle and as he's screaming the bugle like that I'm looking and I'm trying to decide what body parts that I have. And as he screams the bugle, he starts to urinate, man. He starts just palpitating, man. You can just see that, him bouncing up and down as he's pissing, man, like that, all along his chest. And when I saw where that was, I know exactly what I'm looking at right there is the kill zone. And he's screaming that bugle, so I just pull back. I look, and I'm looking directly at the kill mid-body, and I don't even remember letting it go. 
and he blows out of there. He turns and he goes directly down the hill. And as he's going down the hill, he runs down to the bottom and he stops down there a good 50 or 60 yards. And I'm like, man, I know I've just double lunged this booger, man. So <laughs> at that point, it's kind of like, I'm taking those breaths, man. And, you know, it's funny. When everything is going on, I'm in that zone. I mean, I'm locked in like that. And I take that shot, and he starts going out. I'm watching because I know it's not over. I have to watch what he does. And I'm watching as he goes down, and I'm watching his reaction. And as soon as I get him down there, now all of a sudden my body, man, I'm starting to feel that, oh, oh my God, man, what just happened? And I had seen this rack on this bull at one point in time and I could only see one side and I knew this was a big bull and I tell you I don't look at the headgear at that point what I'm looking at is I'm looking at body angles I'm looking at legs is he quartering to me is he quartering away where's the kill zone where is he going to step out where's my next shooting lane I'm asking myself and I'm playing that chess game where I'm looking ahead and I'm looking ahead and I'm looking ahead as I do all of that information everything is zoned in that keeps me locked in but man after he runs off and he goes down there I like drop to my knees man and I'm like trying to not make any noise because he's down there and I can actually see him standing there and all I'm trying to do is get to where I can see him and just watch him and I'm watching and I'm getting I'm just trying to calm myself down well unbeknownst to me <laughs> Chav sees the bull run down because what had happened is this Chav is in position and the bull does exactly what I, I thought he would do. And Chav says he's watching this bull and after I rake the tree, and this is what I heard that one time, he said this bull runs over to this juniper and he just starts trashing. <laughs> he just starts trashing this tree, right? And so Chav's getting ready and he's already ranged everything and he's waiting for that bull and all of a sudden the bull turns and starts going by Chav at a fast clip. And and Chab doesn't have a diaphragm in his mouth. He doesn't call. So he didn't have, and what he should have done and what you should do in his situation is if that bull's there like that, just go with your mouth. That's all you got to do. Just stop him, man. And he'll stop as you're pulling back. Well, as Chab is drawing back as this bull's going by him, by the time he gets to full draw, the bull goes right past him at 30 yards and never stops and is coming directly to me. And that's where at the point where I see the bull down there on the bottom where he stops and starts feeding. So Chav has seen this and he has seen the bull come up my way and then all of a sudden he sees the bull running down there and stop. Well, he doesn't know that an arrow has just zipped through this bull. He has no clue. So he doesn't see it from his area, and he's about 50 yards out. So he pulls back. Oh, man. And he takes a shot at this bull and goes right under his belly. The bull takes off again because of that. He runs another, I don't know, 50 yards, and he stops in this area of thick, thick trees. So I'm coming down the hill, and I'm like, I'm waving, man, like, I'm waving at him like stop man and he catches my movement and he looks up and he starts coming to me and <laughs> at that point we're like 
And I'm like, Chad, man, did you see the one? He goes, yeah, I just shot at him. I go, dude, he's hit. I, I've got him. He's going to go down. And so we're having this conversation. He goes, what, man? He goes, he's huge. And he goes, did you see that other side? Well, I hadn't really paid that much attention to it. This bull on one side is a huge six by, huge. And in fact, uh, this bull scores 335, 336. On one side, he has an exact beautiful all points on, on, on one side. Then on his other side, he has a sword coming straight out and then he has another part of horn coming out with that with other um, tines on it kind of like in a u-shape and he has a club a big club that's coming directly off of that down in front of him down towards his nose in fact that club is big and bigger than my fist man and and black from where he's been like as he tries to eat he's been hitting that in the ground on rocks and on dirt and everything like that like that he scores 336 now look y'all i ain't about the score you know but when you see a big bull coming in like that i didn't even worry about what was on the head i'm focusing on the body at that point right let me tell you though had one had his good side been matched on the other side this bull scores 370 that just tells you, and I mean, his head, his head is like as white as a doggone moo cow, man. I mean, this is one huge old bull. I come down, and me and Chav are down there, and, and I'm like, no, he's just right up there, man. He's only about 60 yards up in front of us. So we're sitting there, and we're having this conversation, and Chav's in front of me, and we're sitting down on the ground, and as we have the conversation, all of a sudden, this I see a bull back behind Chap, and and I'm like, Chap, Chap, and he turns and he puts an arrow on, and the bull comes down, and I cow call and stop the bull, and this bull's only I don't know, man, 18 yards. Chap pulls back, looks at the kill, boom. Well, one thing that he didn't look at, he was so focused on looking at that that he didn't even see that right before that bull is about a two inch in diameter sapling going up. And he centers that sapling, tong like that. And that bull starts to take off. And I scream a bugle at him and the bull stops and he starts going up and he goes up on the ridge. So I throw out a few more cow calls. Yeah, yeah, yeah down here and he stops and he starts to come back and we're like we're gonna get another shot on him and he comes within 50 yards chap has another arrow knocked but there's no shot i mean it's all marginal stuff so he doesn't take the shot we keep that bull and i play with that bull in the area after being shot at now understand this he never smelt us he had something that startled him he hears a bull he can't see the bull and we didn't have the decoy with us at this time in 2018. It wasn't until the next year that I carried that Ultimate Predator decoy. So we're just out there. And he's hearing elk and he's not seeing them. He is smelling other elk because he has those other elk that are out there still, but he hasn't caught our whiff. So he knows that there's elk in the area, but he can't see them to confirm. So he's like going back and forth. He goes up. He barks at us. <laughs> so I bark back at him. I bark right back at him, man. 
and give that little bark chuckle. And so he comes down the hill again. Y'all, this must have gone on for, I don't know, it it probably was like 15 minutes. It, it seemed like forever, but it was probably about 15 minutes that we keep this bull in the area. He's barking. We're talking to him. We're going back and forth. Finally, he goes up on top of the ridge and he walks off, right? So we sit down there, we go over and we pull Chav's arrow out of the little sapling. At that point, I'm, we're just laughing. We cannot believe what has just taken place. And so we're standing there laughing and, and talking about this and <laughs> a bull, because this ridge is only, you know, it's like 50 yards away. And then that ridge goes up and it's probably 30 yards up like that. All of a sudden, because of all that racket of that one bull and of the scent of the elk in the area, and because of me doing the calling down there, this other bull comes running down and is running to come right through where me and Chav are sitting and stops right there. Our bows are down. Chav's bow is down. So <laughs> there was nothing. I mean, he stops 12 yards away. So I pick up a pine cone and I throw the pine cone at him, almost hit him in the nose, man. He turns and he goes out. And at this point, we are, we're just, it's a comedy. And we're just laughing so hard with each other. And we're laughing about it. A third bull comes down now. After those two, another one comes down. And he's looking and he's young and we get him close. Look, this went on. And at this point, we're, we're not even hunters anymore. We're, we're just like, it is such a comedic thing that we're enjoying the situation. We, you know, this bull is just staying off. We know he's not going to come in. And so we just shut up and let everything clear out, right? As everything clears out, I know that my bull is hit. And I know that that bull's going to go down. So I tell Chav, I'm like, okay, Chav, let's go hunt back towards the bike. You know, so basically we have to now turn and go back. And we're going to kind of go along the ridge that we just came from up above where those elk were. So now as we turn, you know, remember that that ridge was towards our left when we came out. And what has happened is, is I've basically gone into the bowl several hundred yards come back to the ridge several hundred yards from where we started out and now I'm turning so that the ridge is on my right hand side and now I'm going to walk along the ridge with it on my right hand side and we're going to go back and hit that same point trail and two track and we're going to start going down that and start hunting towards that and back towards the bike. And we're starting to walk back and as we're going I know we have elk up on that ridge as we're starting to go I continue to cow call every now and then we've already sat there let everything clear out of the area before we started up again and we talked about our plan and what we we're going to do so now here we are we're walking the better walking was a little bit further down into the burn because it was kind of an old two track that went along the bottom in that uh, paralleling 
this ridge. So we walk down to this grassy two track, this in amongst the trees. We have trees on both sides of us, the, you know, on the right, on the left. We're kind of dropping down in elevation, not real hard or heavy. It's just kind of slight downhill. I mean, if there was water running, it would run downhill. And we have this ridge where all these elk were that we just came from on our right hand side that hills up. So we're on this two track and we're working and I start, I'm cow calling. We continue to move, continue. We're about halfway. And this is probably from the point of when I shot my bull on the side of that ridge and now that spot that I shot that bull from where I was standing is a good probably 200 yards behind us and up on that right side of that ridge right there. So my bull, we're leaving it back there. We're going to let him expire. We're going to go back, get the bike, and we figure that's by the time we get the bike and we come back, he should be down. I mean, we don't have to worry. We just leave him alone. So here we are walking down this road, and I've cow called a couple of times, and we're on this two track, and we're probably... Uh, I would say probably we've gone, we're probably about a good 80 yards from where we got to kind of walk up to hit that trail on the ridge again to go over. And I give a cow call and all of a sudden, Chap grabs me from the back. And anytime, <laughs> so I'm not the best of hearing all the time. So all of the guys, when they see something, they know not to go, Chow! because I have a hard time with whispers a lot of time. So whenever I feel something grab me on the back, I freeze and, I, and I'm looking with my eyes because I know that means they've seen an elk. And all of a sudden I feel this tug on my back and I look and coming off the same doggone ridge almost to where we first were when we started in that morning, I see a bull coming down off the ridge coming right towards us. We drop down. Chav now gets in placement. I mean, we're right there in that two track with trees on both sides of us. We drop down right there in the grass. Chav has an arrow down. That bull is coming down at a clip, man. I mean, he's coming down. He drops down into the hill. He's coming across. He's going through the trees. He's now crossing the road in front of us to where it hits a little bit of a hill and then it's going to drop down again so it's real open right there real open and grassy and as that bull comes across there I throw out a call and I rip it and Chav draws back that bull stops in his tracks turns and by the time he turns that arrow was off whack and the bull turns now and, and I'll tell you something, this is something that happens so many times. Elk, when they come from an area and if they get spooked or if they get hit or if something happens, they will generally turn and go back the exact way they came. And that bull turned and starts running right back up the same hill that he just came from. Look, this was all of 10 seconds? I mean... From the time that Chav grabs me, I look up, we see that bull coming down, we drop down right where we're at, he's coming through, he hits the window right here, he's coming across the road. I scream as Chav's drawing, the bull stops going down, he's hit, turns and he's off. I mean, it just, it just was a flash, man. I mean, we went from walking and seeing nothing, you know, doing the cow calls and nothing happening there to all of a sudden, man, 
bull hit. Chav just drills this bull, man. He turns off and he goes up the hill. <laughs> what can you do, man? I mean, it's not even at this point in time. Gosh, I'm not even sure what time it is exactly at this time. So I'm going to tell you, we stop there and we look at each other and we're like, did that just happen? I mean, Chav's looking at me. I'm laughing. He's laughing. I'm grabbing him, man. I'm dogpiling him. I'm swatting him on the back, man. And I'm... <laughs> <laughs> I am so doggone proud of him, man. He drills this bull when it comes in. So we know that that bull has gone up the hill. We know that he's hit hard. Chav puts it right behind the shoulder, right where it needs to be. And we're like, I don't believe this, man. We sit there for a few minutes and try to collect ourselves. And we're talking about what all just happened and we're going through it play by play by play and we're just laughing and you know to ourselves quietly it's that you know it's like god can you believe this and we're just talking like that we just got that low laugh going on and we we're doing all the pats on the back and we're talking about the situation and then we said okay we know your bull's up there let's get around let's continue going around we're going to drop down and go off the point and we're going to drop down a little further and want to head back to the bike and we'll go get the bike and then we'll come back and then we'll start our tracking job on the animals over here so the our 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 plan was to go get the bike and then come back and in that amount of time with both animals being hit double lung uh, we knew that both of them should be down so we get to the bike and we've driven back to the area and we decide to go to my bull first. We're a hundred yards from where I know my bull is down. Um, we take that two track in the bottom that we were on when Chav shot his and we come down and we park right into there. And from that point, we know that we can go up the hill to track his or we can go to ours. So we decide to go towards my bull first. Um, so we're going over there. I take my bow. You always take your bow, man. And so I go down there and I'm already hearing crows. And so crows have already located where my bull is. So I'm figuring, muerto, dead, my bull's down. So I have an arrow on my bow, and as I'm going through, I start stalking to where I last seen him, where I had my last visual. So as I'm walking through there, I'm going through real quiet, and I'm stopping, and I'm looking, and I'm scanning, and I'm scanning through the trees. And all of a sudden, up ahead of me, about 60 yards, I catch a horn. You know, I've guided for a long time, y'all, and I don't care, never assume an animal is dead. I don't know why this bull was not dead, but as I get closer, I see the ears up. Unbelievable. I cannot figure as to what has happened at this point. You know, I want to tell you at this point in the game, after everything is said and done, I still never could find my arrow, and I looked in all different places and stuff for my arrow. Never found it, so I'm not sure exactly what happened here. But I can tell you that the hit went in perfect where I shot it on one side. What happened and what happened to that other side there, I, I don't get it. I don't understand why this bull was down. And this bull is enormous man so I'm coming up on him and I can see 
I have perfect broadside on him the way he's laying and his head he's kind of got his head down and his horns forward but he's not dead completely I mean he's on his last breath but I want to make sure that he goes down so I come in and I put one through both lungs he jumps up he goes 10 yards and he crumpled and he's down that that was it so mystery to us still unsolved knowing that that bull was hit right in the boiler where I hit him it should have been a double pass through that bull should have died right there in a matter of seconds didn't happen that way and I'll tell you there are some things that happen in elk hunting you just won't be able to explain you don't know if that arrow went off of a rib one way turned down you just don't know I don't know if it ended up doing just that hitting there and hitting a rib and deflecting down and never getting that other lung or got a part of that other lung or how he filled up I don't know so bull is down we know bull number one's down we do the high fives and it's like okay let's go track yours so now we go back and we're tracking chav's bull and we go from where it starts and we're looking and we can see the tracks of the bull digging up the side of the hill and we're finding blood just all over the place so as we get up on top of the hill i have chav in front of me he's got an arrow drawn now after what just happened with my bull you don't think he was on high alert <laughs> so we're going through he's in front he's looking ahead and I'm looking at blood and I'm pointing and he's moving ahead and I'm looking at blood and I'm pointing he's scanning looking for his bull and all of a sudden I do what he did to me I reach out and I grab his back and I point up ahead and there's his bull it's down guys two bulls down before 10 a.m. September 1st unbelievable not 200 yards from each other this is one of the most epic hunts it to this day I tell you it to this day we talk about it and we laugh about all the different situations and all the different things that happen and we ended up packing our animals out getting them and hauling them getting them to the truck and we had both animals out of the mountain before lunchtime to do that on a bow hunt on September 1st, wow, man. I mean, we have both doubled up on the last day of the hunt, and we've doubled up in other times in a hunt, but never on day one have we doubled up like that. So, learning moments. Number one, if we go back and we take a look at the things and the things that I want to make sure the nuggets that you pull out of this, and hopefully you got a bunch just from what I just described. I hope you were as excited and got some laughs and learned some things and heard all this stuff during that hunt that brings it back to me because I tell you what, when I relive it, man, it's just like I'm there. But as we go back to those learning moments, I, I want to make sure that you understand you need to be out in the woods early. Those people that are waiting till daylight before they go out are missing so much i mean all of our a lot of our locating time all happens in the dark and that's what happened this time we're basically you know trying to get animals to locate to talk to us and then cut that distance so that's what they're doing you've got to get out early i mean there's been times when i've been out at and had a bull answer me at three in the morning cut the distance got in on it waited till daylight 
um, got between a bull and his cows, shot the bull, and I'm actually working the bull, and all of a sudden I hear four-wheelers, and I look up, and not 40 yards through the trees out on the two-track, I see four different four-wheelers going by me, and guys have bows mounted in the front of their their four-wheelers on bow racks with an arrow already knocked on their bow. I mean, to each their own, I guess, but here I am with the bull down, and these guys are just now covering the country, and evidently their style of hunting was pretty much driving around and seeing what they could see. So get out there early. Get off the beaten path. Locate those. And I tell you what, even if they are near those two tracks or near those trails, a lot of times you're going to have opportunities before other people get there. Another thing was using topography to hide the sound and scent when selecting a starting point when you are using a four-wheeler or a UTV. It's so important to use that topography. So, you know, these elk are used to hearing, and they're going to hear four-wheelers driving around. Um, as long as it doesn't come into their area where they can you know, tell where that location is. They just hear that buzzing noise out there. So if you use the topography to try to deaden that away from them, then they might put their head up and look at it. And I can tell you this, look, I have been bedded with a herd of elk when a four-wheeler has driven within 70 to 80 yards of them. And I've watched the elk just follow the sound with their head while bedded. The guy actually got off, turned off his four-wheeler, got off, Threw out a bugle, elk are looking at him, he doesn't see them because they're back in the trees, gets on his bikes, blah, 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 and goes off. Elk never boogered, not once, just let him go. So, you know, it doesn't freak them out unless you're going to be where, you know, they're moving and they're going to a destination where you're going to push them out there a little sooner. These elk were already bedded, and so they didn't worry about it too much. So that's just something for you to think about. Use that topography to hide the sound and scent when selecting a starting point. Walk into areas because that that time that it takes you to walk into an area, those extra minutes can pay off huge. If we would have driven and try to get closer to that burn area, we would have passed a lot of area that we could have hunted, and there was a big chance we would have blown all those elk out of there if we tried to get closer. Remember, locating with calls. Always work from near to far. So when you do start calls, you want to go quiet because you want to go with that small, light cow call. You don't know if there's an elk within 70 yards of you and if you blow out a call through your tube or you scream one now you're going to make that animal think you're a lot closer if he does respond to you he might hang up expecting you to be closer than what you are so always start out light call near to far how do i decide on where i'm going to call next again well i wait till i get to the next area probably where my calls have reached so when i think i'm reaching into a new area i go with a new near to far and remember this too so when me and chav got on those spikes look those spikes were in trouble man had we had shooting daylight when they were 20 yards i guarantee you one of those spikes would have been on the ground but it just wasn't legal shooting time at the time and then in that activity we used to try to pull them and to hold them and try to get there, even though that activity was unsuccessful, it ended up creating another opportunity. And in that, 
all of that noise between me and that other bull that happened after I shot my bull and then I was messing with that bull that had come into Chav when he stuck that sapling, that activity ended up continually bringing elk into us. That gave us another opportunity because as soon as I cow called, that one bull came off the ridge. So remember, unsuccessful activity can create other activity. Burns. There are difference in burns. In fact, some of those areas that you guys couldn't hunt last year in Colorado, in Idaho, in Utah, if those burns, because there's different kinds, there are very, very hard, hot burns that will like scorch the earth. They will kill all life that it'll take three years for something sometimes to come back but not all burns are built the same if some of those burns go through fast and they don't get too hot and they burn that undergrowth inside there and you get rains that come on top of that those burns are going to become very high nutritious elk magnets and how soon does it take for elk to return these elk were back in this burn within a week within two weeks within three weeks of when that burn happened. And I've heard people talk about times that they've actually called elk in burns when there was still, I mean, it, it, the, the, the fire had basically been fresh. So it just depends on, on that. But don't think that just because there's a burn that the elk have taken off. In fact, I listened, I think I was listening to um, Mr. Livesay just the other day. He was talking about uh, a study that he had read in Colorado where they had put collars on animals. I And, you know, it might have been Idaho. I can't remember exactly where the study was. But those collared animals did not go far from that fire. They just went right on the edge and waited. They did not just disappear and abandon the country. So that's something for you to remember. Also, there's different kinds because this area that we were hunting, I told you, there were still green in there. We still had patches of of the old growth that integrated the edge was real rough that came into in different areas where you know in the bottom where it was more moist and it didn't burn that 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 growth still came up into it and then in those hotter areas you know where it burned on top of those hills and blew across it had burned some so there was burn with um old growth that was mixed in so that's a good situation one thing I want to point out to you too, this was September 1st. This group of bulls was a bachelor set of bulls. Seven bulls that were together at first that Chav had heard. Other bulls ended up coming into this play here, but Chav saw seven bulls. So this was a bachelor group that once they thought there was a hot cow, it worked them up and they started screaming. And that can happen at any time. Once a cow comes in estrus, a rut is going to happen. Don't think that a bachelor group can't go from bachelor mode to rut mode in, in a matter of minutes, man. Just if, if they smell a cow in estrus, it is going to change everything. These guys are gonna go, Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde. I hope that you understand what my turntable effect was, that in order for me as the caller behind my partner, instead of staying in position because I was down below where they were, where those elk couldn't see me, I actually started to rotate around so that I could turn that bull and get him to pull by chap, which happened. It just so happened that he didn't get the shot and the bull came to me. Another thing too is how terrain controls the wind. because. When once we came and we got on a ridge where the wind was coming in one direction, it had changed that wind. The topography 
can change that wind. And, you know, they've done studies in cities where that they've done smoke to see how wind goes around buildings. Just like um, water goes around rocks, it can alter and change the flow of that wind. So it could be different from the side of the ridge to the middle of that burn to the other side of the burn. So that's something for you to keep in mind. Also, aggressive moves. You have to make a move. Don't stay in a position where you're not going to have a shot. If I had kept my bow at my feet, well, I'm not getting a shot, right? I got to pick up my bow. If I don't get in front of that tree, I've just limited my shooting lanes. And I can tell you, once you limit your shooting lanes, there's a good chance that that's where that bull's going to end up. And there's so many stories where people talk about that. The other thing is, be ready when one elk is down. I'm not able to tell you how many times we've had doubling up opportunities when I've had a bull down on the ground. And I think that's because that elk smells in the air, um, all the talking that has happened. You already have animals that are moving in in their time. And so by the time what you're doing with your activity and that aroma is still in the air and you still have the wind right for you, it's just a magnet for those other elk that are happening there. And there's so many times that's happened. So just like I said before with unsuccessful activity, even if you've been successful and you start to move to that animal, pay attention. And don't be scared if you have another shooter with you to give a cow call out there, to give a bugle out there to see if another bull's moved into the area. That's a huge nugget for you. And guys, it only takes seconds for things to change. As you saw from that second bull, man, a matter of seconds before we had success. And one last thing, you always hear how well elk can pinpoint a caller, right? Well, when you throw your calls, you can change that. When that bull came running into us when I was cow calling and I'm throwing those calls through my tube, I'm using my mouth and then throwing them down into an area, that bull did not have that pinpointed. He came off that ridge and he was running to where he thought he heard that. As he was running past us, Chav did exactly what he needed to do. He drew. You have to draw. You have to draw. He knew that I would stop that bull. And once I did, he's at full draw and that bull's done. Guys, I hope you enjoyed this. I hope you enjoyed the journey. I hope you enjoyed our second episode of the moment. This was a special hunt to me. I enjoyed sharing it with you and I look forward to the next time. So until then, keep dreaming of the screaming, believing and achieving, but most of all y'all, keep grinding. Until next time. Grinders tuning in, thank you for listening to the Blue Collar Elk Hunting Podcast. Our goal is to share our knowledge and help you flatten that learning curve so that you too can have some of the very same incredible experiences that have given all of us here at Elk Bros a lifetime of memories. If you like what you hear or see, you can get all of this information plus so much more from our base camp elk hunting training camp, the first in a series of online courses from our Blue Collar Elk Academy. 
Our base camp training camp allows me to use my coaching style and share almost 40 years of elk hunting experiences successfully hunting elk on public lands as well as over 20 years guiding hunters of all ages and experience levels. This course will be like nothing you have ever experienced in concept and structure using success-based coaching techniques that will elevate your confidence and skill sets. Our camp will prepare you specifically from that final moment most in your control, those final minutes or seconds the elk is in front of you, backwards through each step and level, allowing you to see, visualize, understand, and relate every coaching point to what lies ahead, the next step, the next thought process, the next success. Because y'all, you've already been there. You know what it looks like. By tapping my 30 years of teaching and coaching experience, our camps are developed considering multiple learning modes with text, visuals, audio, as well as video. And base camp will benefit those new to elk hunting all the way to the 10 to 15 year vet. So if you are looking for that one thing to help you fill that tag this year, invest in the most important piece of equipment there is, you and your elk hunting knowledge. You can find the Blue Collar Elk Hunting Academy and the Base Camp Training Camp at elkbros.com. That's E-L-K-B-R-O-S dot com. Keep dreaming of the screaming, believing and achieving, and most of all, keep grinding. Thank you.